Start recording. Oh my god. Okay, so why do you have a thing about people dresses animals? Uh, I, they get into your personal space, and it makes me highly uncomfortable. Yes, but do you have any growing up traumatic experiences about this? I spent six hours inside a bunny suit once. Oh, you were the dressed up animal. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, that's unfortunate. No, we had this thing at church growing up called Noah's Ark. It was our fall festival at church, you Uh know, because we couldn't really celebrate Halloween because it was, uh, you know, pagan. It's horrible. Yes. So it's Christmas too, but whatever. (laughs) Whatever. And Easter. Anyways, so yes, I um, we had animals all around the church <laughs> that were dressed up. So I yeah, I kind of have that feeling too. Yeah. There's yeah. a classic picture of me at Disney World because my uncle lived really close to there. My mom's brother, so we went down a, a good number of times because I think he had a discount or something. I'm not sure. Anyways, of me, my mom holding me next to. Cinderella, Snow White, I don't know, one of the princesses. And that's not even, like, they look human, right? You know? Right. But I'm just, like, looking sideways at this person going, nope, 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 I'm not going to do it. (laughs) You're like, leave me alone. Leave me be. Gross. It's horrible. It's horrible. So do not put dressed up animals in your story. No, they're they're definitely not. I mean, there's not really any call for them in this particular one, but there might be. Um, if I do a horror esque type, oh story, yes, there would be. I'm sure. So yeah. So hi and welcome to Thinking Out Out Loud, the Happy Hour edition, where we yeah. talk about really random stuff. And we can't figure out where to plug our headphones in <laughs> because yeah. it's at night and not in the morning and all the coffee has worn off. Right. That's your excuse. <laughs> but yes. this is episode 109. We're 109. really creeping up the charts there. And um, I'm Elizabeth Kaufman and this is Mariana Harrelson with me. And yes, we're going to talk hear about a baby, stuff. If you hear a baby crying in the background, that, of course, is Ben. <laughs> but it's Thursday, April 28th, and well, what do you want to talk about tonight? Oh, I had been a working of, all day. I, I have. Well, actually, today today kind of crashed and burned. Um, I did some work in the morning, and then I had. You know, you sometimes you have days, and this was one. Well, of you got to choose your own adventure when you have your own business, right? It's true. It's true. So I took some time to like deal with myself and um and then I went for a five mile run and Good not for feeling you. all better so anyways you did some work on yourself today yep I did I did and I read some of um which you know what we're reading comes at the end I guess but um we're flipping this whole thing upside down right now so um I I read some on the uh lean startup book that I got through Amazon Oh, um, yeah, so you've started it? I just recommended it to another one of my friends who is also an entrepreneur. Was it a good recommendation or a bad? I'm pretty sure it's a good recommendation. Um, I, I think he he's not, well, I mean, he has concepts that are new to me. Um, I don't feel like the concepts that he um, is claiming as his are actually new <laughs> concepts. I think he's, like, stolen them from <laughs> other people. Right, but he put it in writing, so it's his. Them. Yeah. So, but, but it's definitely, um, an interesting book and good to, um, 
I mean, I feel like as I read it, I'm like, oh, yeah, that's what people do now, like with startups, you know, I feel like I can identify more things um, in the marketing and business world than and like put a name to them um, or at least that like understand the strategy now better than I did before I started reading. And I'm really, I'm not even that far into it. I'm like 50 pages in or whatever, but, um, but yeah, so it's, it's interesting. I'm learning things. Good. Yeah. So I did a little bit of that today as kind of like, I'm just going to back off from all this and it'll be fine and I'm fine. So, but in other news, in other news though, um, I got some, feedback from somebody else on my short story and it was actually really good so like that was helpful to me um she said she really liked my characters and was worried about them and wanted them all to be safe by the end and um really enjoyed the story so so that is one of the things like if people care about your character you know yes that's good (laughs) it is um it actually the the feedback that she gave me um and without like spoiling anything for anybody who was ever going to read anything that i write and actually listens to us as well um but so the feedback that she gave me actually points me to something that i need to do in the novel that i've been avoiding doing in the novel (laughs) so i was like well that is interesting and i'm gonna have to like make myself actually make my characters suffer in a way that I was not really prepared to do, but... Oh, I'm going to have to do that, too, in my ghostwriting project. Yeah. (laughs) And I can't handle it. I know. Oh, my gosh. I've been reading so much, so many terrible things this week. Yeah. And I've been writing about them, and I've been... Oh, it's it's terrible. It's really terrible. There are terrible people in the world who do terrible things. Yeah. And so how do you write these stories? Because you have to write these stories in order to share them with the world, in order to the to bring to light these terrible things, right? But yep. and and the other thing, oh gosh, see, I'm glad this is happy. <laughs> Hold on, let me let me take a sip here. Okay, that's better. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, so the the other thing I is I got this gut-wrenchingly beautiful manuscript. I mean, it is so well-written, but it is Mm. so heartbreaking. Mm. And so I'm encouraging the author to do a little bit of work on it to expand it to even a longer project because I think, oh, it's just, it's beautiful. But like these people's stories need to be told more fully. And so he thought that this was perhaps a series of short stories and I was like no I think this is you know I was just encouraging him but I was just like oh my gosh you know the kind of of story that you read and just tears are falling down your cheeks because yeah you know these stories are true you know these things happen in the world you know people are living in this kind of desperation and hopelessness and despair and and this is what writing does I think writing can really bring to light that these kinds of things and situations exist Mm -hmm. so that as we're sitting in our nice, pretty homes, you know, that talking over a podcast that we can really bring to light some of these things that, you know, our hearts and souls are pricked about this and that we actually do something. Yeah. Speaking of which, uh-huh. we started watching the unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. You did? We oh did. Gosh. What do you think? Um, I, I do, uh, Yeah. 
<laughs> so Sam is sitting there watching it, and he's like, this is your life. <laughs> it's your life? Is that why... Is that why you were telling me to watch it? I don't even know what you're talking about. Yeah, well, okay, so... Okay, so you want to give a little introduction into the series? Uh, So, for those people who've never watched Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, um, it's about a girl who um, lived... was kidnapped and lived in a bunker for 15 years. Um kidnapped and held there against her will with like three other women by a strange man they call the reverend um and and she escapes from the bunker at the beginning of the series so that's not a spoiler um and then moves to new york city (laughs) to live in new york city um and it's about all of the foibles that would happen when you're cut off from um pop culture for and just like culture in general for 15 years um, and how you like how she copes um, and it's flipping hilarious. So, so do I not know that you were like raised in a bunker? Is, is that what happened to you? Or? Not, not a bunker, but he uh-huh. was saying a bubble. Ah, uh, yes. I was raised and- in a bubble too, but I don't feel like I was Kimmy Schmidt. But. No. But he was saying, okay, there's some similarities, especially like when we talk about music, because unlike you, I didn't kind of um, (laughs) discover the world of pop culture and good music and those kinds of things in college. Uh I mean, I did to a certain extent, but still. That's awesome. Well, I had my own ideas of what was good music in college anyways. So like my my roommates all thought I was crazy because I listened to the Indigo Girls, but I also listened to um, Primitive Radio Gods and, like, I forget, a bunch... There were a few other... um, I listened to The Verve, a lot of The Verve. (laughs) Stuff like that. It was really eclectic and weird, and and I was eclectic and weird, and my friends thought I was weird. So they were always like, what are you doing? But anyways... But that's one of the, I mean, but you were kind of your own person. And for me, that didn't happen until I, I mean, I went overseas and taught in Germany and I came back and I was like, oh, wait a second. (laughs) Whoa. What did I miss? Whoa. Like, what have I been going through? Like the German pop music? Because that would be amazing. Well, sure. Of course we did. Yeah. Yeah. So Kimmy didn't even get that. She had to make up her own music. 99 Luftballons. (laughs) But anyway, no. do, do you like Kimmy Schmidt? Oh, I love it. Isn't I it love hilarious? it. It's so cute. It's, it's, well, it's also, the other thing is it's this, I really think because it's Tina Fey, it's a political commentary oh, on totally the religious landscape that we're living in. Yeah, she puts these women in a bunker, but she is common, you know, she's offering a commentary on those of us who grew up in a religious bubble. Yeah. I think. Yeah. Um, yeah, Tina Fey is pretty smart, and she's pretty smart in it. Um, she's actually in season two, so be excited. Oh, is she? Well, I was thinking that she, yeah, I am very excited. Okay, so I was thinking also she could have kind of been Kimmy Schmidt, but she was looking for someone (laughs) who was younger. I know that. That's funny. I, um, I don't think I have read, oh yeah, I haven't read her book, so... Tina Fey? Um, yeah. 
So Oh, I, you've got to read it. Okay, I read Tina Fey's and Amy Poehler's, and I would highly recommend um, Tina Fey's. Okay. Because I was just going to say, I don't know that much about her personal life to be able to say whether or not I thought she could be Kimmy Schmidt, but aside from acting the part, but... Um, but yeah. No, I was just talking about acting the part because she's got this goofy kind of, you know, character. And they picked, what's her, what's that girl's name again? I think it's Felicity. Oh. Nope. Nope. That's not who I thought it was. What is the girl from the last, the last two seasons of The Office? Oh yeah. Is it Ellie something? Yep. Ellie Kemper. Ellie Kemper. I like her. Yep, she's she's adorable. It was hilarious. I'm so glad you're watching it. Me too. Yay! Okay, what else do we need to do? So that brings, like, you know, so I have this, like, mixed emotions because sometimes I'm like, gosh, this is so funny. And other times I'm like, oh, this is a little too real. <laughs> but I ways. think that that is, like, the essence of good humor, right? Is being able to, like... Yes. Like super close to home. So. So this is a good question. So you have had this feedback. Okay. So we're talking about this. um, These women living in a bunker. But, but, you know, I think also Tina Fey is a feminist and she's also come, you know, offering commentary on um, the fact that what is it like one in six women are, you know, have been raped or abused or abused or an attempted rape or something like that and so she's also commenting on this fact um and well in south carolina the big thing is that domestic we're number one in the country for domestic violence against women oh that's not good no not at all so this is a very real issue for women you know so she's you know she's sketching these women that I think are going to turn... Now, we're only, like, four episodes in, but they're going to mm-hmm. turn into powerful women despite what has happened to them. I think this is kind of the the unbreakable part of it is that they're going to, you know, rise up and they're going to they're gonna be okay even though this man did this terrible thing to them. Um, well, I'm not going to spoiler it for you. <laughs> oh, come on. Tell me it's true. <laughs> I'm not going to spoiler it for you or for our listeners who have not seen it. Um... But she is the unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, so. She's called unbreakable for a reason, surely. Or uh, what were we talking about over text message? The uh, unboundless? The Oh, yeah, that was just not right. <laughs> then I, I, <laughs> I, I just, I have a problem with titles. Unboundless is, is a bad title, but. Unbreakable oh, yeah. is much better. Unbreakable at least makes sense. unbreakable <laughs> Unboundless doesn't even make sense, but don't don't get me started. <laughs> I was just like So how do you how do you deal with this kind of stuff? Like do you put it in your writing? Do you not put it in your writing? Because you want your writing to be a real reflection of the way the world is so people can connect to it well, to a certain extent. Right. It might be a different world, but you have to have these characteristics or situations that people can relate to. Right. Well, I mean, so you've you've read the short story, um I and have. Um, and even for people that haven't, I think I, I put in syn- the synopsis that I'm probably going to use as the blurb on the back, um, like her, that my main character's father is abusive. So like it's, it's part of 
how she, like part of why she has the need to break free, to chase the wind, so to speak. Um, so yeah, so it's in there and I am kind of dancing around a scene right now in revisions, um, where it's a really rough scene of child abuse basically. And like how to write that, um, and convey the pain that's there without, without like hurting myself in the process if you know what I yes. mean yes so, so so okay so I I've read your short story like definitely that was implied uh-huh. but you haven't um you know it wasn't a direct reference with in a sort short story is really okay like you don't yeah. have to go there because you can hint at things and readers are smart enough to put two and two together but if you're going for a whole novel you have to put at least one scene in there yep well there's a scene in it so. You did it? You wrote yeah. it today? No, no. I mean, I wrote it in November. I mean, I wrote it a while ago. Actually, it was one of the first scenes that I ever wrote in the novel. Really? Um, yeah. And so it's there in, like, the shortest form and then her, like, like recuperating afterwards. And then and now it's just kind of like... It's it's growing and turning into what it needs to be for the novel. So that's where I'm at. Is with this week I was revising it, um, and expanding it and making it more what it should be. But that is still kind of painful. So yeah, it is. Well, okay. So then you have to also. Oh my gosh. Then you have to get into. Okay, am I going to do just abuse? Am I going to do sexual abuse? Am I going to do verbal abuse? Am I going to do physical abuse? Like. Uh, all of those considerations are very difficult. Yes. Yes. Well, um, one of the things actually that you wrote on your blog this week that I wish you would expand on even more is the idea of spiritual abuse um, and how that goes from not just like leaders of spiritual communities who are committing things that are considered like actual abuse like hitting a child you know or like molesting a child or whatever but like there's I feel like there's a deeper um issue even that goes in there that's like mental it's control and abuse of power um and the use of scripture to like keep people controlled and in line and so there's a lot of that theme in my in my novel. So, yay, it's very, like, happy and, you know, wonderful. You're going to love it. <laughs> <laughs> but it's so needed. I mean, I'm so glad that this is part of your book because there's a reason that I wrote about it this week. And there's also a reason that I haven't been able to write since Tuesday when I wrote that because it's so heavy. But the thing is, there's so many stories, especially of women. And I'm not saying that women can't be abusers, too. Right. Because I know that. That takes place, but the vast majority of my experience and the stories that I hear are of women who are abused by men who are in religious leadership, mm-hmm. and it's terrible. So the fact that you're weaving this into your story and bringing this to light is wonderful. I think, yeah, in a terrible kind of way. <laughs> yeah, it has a, it has a long way to go. I think, but but yes, it's there's. It's necessary. 
Uh, but that's I, but I mean, gosh, gut riching to write about. Literally, I had to go walk for over an hour. You know, after yeah, compiling that just that blog post. Mm-hmm. And and that's I mean that's the thing that you have to do when you're writing about these things. But for me to write something is to offer hope and transformation. And so if I'm not doing that about things that really matter, that are really impacting people, that are really true, that people need to be reminded of, that are really tough, Mm -hmm. then I'm not doing what I'm called to do as a writer. Now, I'm not saying that everybody, you know, Tina Fey does that, I think, in a different way. Like, she presents it with the unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, with humor and all of this stuff, but the undertones of, hey, this is kind of messed up. Is still there. Yeah, definitely. But she's attacking it from a different way. Which and I think is really humor, important. Which is helpful because, like, I mean, it's that whole, if you don't, I mean, you have to laugh at yourself because you'd cry your eyes out if you didn't. Um, like, you just have to <laughs> do it in a way where where you laugh, but then, like, the, the sting of the, it just covers the sting of the truth a little bit. You know, so that you can, like, think about it and process it without, like, just breaking down and crying. <laughs> right. So the laughter is really like a salve that you're putting on the wings. Exactly. Exactly. And offering healing, which is important, too. Yes. You have to get to that point, I think. Yes. It's not easy, but it's possible. So. But see, this is, I think, I really think that this is the world that writers are going to find themselves in more and more, is that we have to have people who are willing to write about the things that are most difficult. We have but to- I mean, I feel like it's the the world that we've been in all along. I mean, like Toni Morrison and, you That's know. True. Um, That's true. That's uh, true. What's her name uh, that wrote The Color Purple? Uh, Zora, Zora Houston. No, no, no. Zora Neale Houston is definitely one of them, but I was thinking of, is it Alice Walker? Alice Walker. So, so bad. Um, because it, like they've been writing, they've been writing those stories, those narratives for a while. Um, and I read a, their eyes were watching God. One. That's the one I was thinking of. It's, uh, let me look up the author's name on this one. Serious blooms at night actually is a beautiful, um, What's that again? Serious Blooms? It's called Serious, uh, like the like the star, C-E-R-E-U-S, Serious Blooms at Night by Shani Mutu. And it's like, it's about, um, it's about child abuse. Um, it's about um, uh, trans people in uh, the kind of community that's not, um, not accepting of them at all um and like how how people exist on the fringes and it's a beautiful beautiful book um and then i'm thinking of um dog eaters that's another one um that's about the philippines um there's and there's one called middlesex too yeah have you ever read that one no that one's not, that's more biological approach to it, but it's, you know, it's still mm-hmm. revealing um, about what then, this character goes through. I mean, even if you go further back, I mean, like Charles Dickens, what he was writing about, you know, was, he was writing about child labor and stuff like that and um, poverty and uh, who else? Um, Thomas Hardy, um, like Tess of the D'Urbervilles was about abuse 
um, and uh, what else? Like, so it's not that it's not that writers are going to have to do it more. It's just that <laughs> the more that we write, the more that we're like, oh. Like we could, you know, you could write about things that don't really matter, but like when you when you see what impacts your readers, um, and when you start to get feedback from your readers, you're like, oh, like these are the stories that that people need to hear, and these are the because they're the ones that help um, your readers to process what their own journeys are, whether that be because they're um, because they're experiencing it or because they're sheltered from it and they've never like had to experience it before so to be able to like feel and be part of a perspective that is not theirs is another good way to look at it yeah but it's hard it's hard to be a writer who's addressing those things even though you even if you know that it needs to be out there in the world and even if you know that what you're saying is true why do you think so many writers are alcoholics? <laughs> <laughs> or I was thinking suicidal, but right? yeah, that too. Like there's a reason and it's because you tap into that. And so like it's I'm not I'm not in any way shape or form condoning alcoholism or or suicide, you know, as an option or as a as a means to an end there. What I'm trying to say is that like um probably we need to figure out better ways to cope as writers um with the the challenges of like the emotions that we want to convey convey to people so we need more writer support groups (laughs) yeah so this is interesting so i'm in a local facebook group that has to do with writers and and one and somebody was talking about i just wrote this really difficult scene and you know, she didn't disclose what it was, but she was like, okay, so what do I do now? I feel like I've bled all over the page, so what am I supposed to do to get myself back to a functioning human being? Like, to cook dinner for my family, do the laundry, you know, those kinds all of things. All of that. But, but those are the things that you have to do to get yourself back, right? Like, you take a walk, you hug That's somebody what a lot you of people love, say. you, like, yeah. um, you know, like, brush the dog, I don't know, like, that's that's what I do. I'm like, okay, where's my husband? Where's my dog? Let's go play ball. Let's do something that, like, makes it all better. Um, and, and honestly, like, the stuff that, you know, I mean, I feel like I'm not even that close to um, being able to describe the emotion that I know is like under the surface of the scenes that I'm writing. Um, and so I go to therapy too. Right. So like, you know, like to be able to, um, access emotions that, that otherwise I boxed up and put away because they were too painful to deal with before. So like, it's, there's just, you have to develop a support network, you know, and, and learn what your safe word is and then run away. You know, when you have to run away, put it down and let it go. But don't put it down too soon. Because you need that rawness and you need that yes. emotion in there. And that's what the readers thats what the readers need, too. Like, that's why you write it. It's, you don't write it because it feels good. You write it because, like, it's something that the readers need to hear. It, it needs to be expressed, so...
And I don't think even, I mean, I don't think even saying the readers, that the world needs to hear. The world needs to be reminded. And, you know, we can get, I can get caught up in thinking, oh, well, there are other people talking about this. So I don't really need to talk about it because people know that this, you know, that spiritual abuse happens, that, you know, child abuse happens, all this stuff. Yes, but maybe it's something in the way that you've written it that changes someone's perspective that actually ignites something within them to do something about that. Right, exactly. So, I mean, I think a lot of us who are, I'll say plagued, right, plagued with uh, dealing with these difficult issues can cop out or, or kind of excuse ourselves and say, oh, well, Toni Morrison's already done that. Such and such has already done that. I can't right. do it as well as this person so I'm just not going to do that. Let me not write a nice, happy story. Yeah, that's the the fallacy of, you know, too many advocates. But there can never be too many advocates for for the oppressed. So more stories. So more did more you stories. already, did you know from the minute that this character was tapping you on the shoulder that you had to tell her story because it had this abuse in the background? Yes. Oh. Yep. Hmm. Yeah. Did you try to avoid it? No. Pretty much as soon as I heard her, I was like, okay, okay, let me get my stuff together. And I, like, made a like a, a mind map of what I was doing. Because it was right before Camp Nano last year, July Camp Nano, that I started hearing that. So, which seems like not that long ago. And I feel like I've been working on this character for longer than that, but apparently not. So, I'm like, oh. Anyways. Yeah. Yeah. Oof. Yeah. But when the story is done, it will be worth it, I think. So. So, was it ever the character who was telling you or, like, stopping you from writing this one scene or was it just you? It was me. It was me because so I. So she told you it was okay to tell that part. Yeah, it's me, and I, I was saying this to the person that was, you know, had given me the feedback on the short story, and she was telling me how much she loved my characters, and I was like, I know I love my, I love Treya so much that like I don't, I don't want her to suffer, so I'm not. You like, want to protect her. Engaging, yeah, and so like there's a couple of parts of the story that need to be told a certain way and I'm like no 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 I don't want her to be sad I want her to be happy but when I try to write it the happy way it just sounds really hollow and cheesy because it's not real (laughs) and so I'm like okay 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 I'll go back go back and fix it and so well and she's not so she's not as kick-ass as as she is if she doesn't overcome that it's true if she just gets it all handed to her, it's not. She doesn't have to fight for it and prove herself. So I'm working on it. I'm working on it. And did I, did I, did we talk about this last week? Um, about how, like, I um, am getting, I'm forming a critique group with a couple other writers. I don't here. know if we talked about that. Is it, is it part of your NaNoWriMo group? Um, there are people that I know through the nano group. Yeah. So, um, and they're all kind of at similar places with their writing. And so we're going to, we're going to do like chapter swaps and give each other feedback. 
So. Okay, so this is, I mean, this is part of what you were talking about is that we as writers need a support group. And yep. and it happens that even when you release your book out into the world, you know, you, you have the tendency to go and hide, even if the things don't seem, okay, so maybe you're writing about something that doesn't seem as extreme or tough to talk about as child abuse right. or something like that. But, you know, you're talking about things that are real and are heartbreaking and things that you've experienced through a character or yourself if you're writing memoir and don't it doesn't mm, I don't feel like you can create a hierarchy of the tough things you have to write about right well and there's always somebody I mean because life part of life is struggling right so like there's always somebody that is going to um, connect to you so it's not like there's a story that's more worthy or less worthy to tell either you that's know? what i'm trying to say thank yeah. you so like it, so expand on that a little bit like how do you how do you talk to some of your authors who think you know because we all get into this mindset as writers of oh my gosh well my work isn't as important as this other person who's talking about this and but oh uh. Well, you can't the, do that. The, no, you can't do that. You have to tell the story that's there. Um, and then, like, the other thing is that, like, you're a writer, you know, so even if it's something that you personally have never experienced, you can imagine a lot of things that have probably happened. And then, like, if you if you feel like that there's some authenticity missing or something like that, you can get people to um, to read and give you feedback and tell you, you know, how close you got um, or whether you need to like do some more um, soul searching or or um, research or whatever it is that you need to do in order to be able to tell the story more fully because again that's the other thing if it hasn't happened to you it's happened to someone and so like like part of being a writer advocate is like telling a story that needs to be told whether or not it's yours specifically so okay but are there times when you can't tell somebody else's story? Uh, absolutely. And especially if you don't have their permission. <laughs> so. Well, yeah. I, I mean, I don't know. I don't mean with their names and stuff like that. But I have I have read manuscripts of people who are trying to take on top, top? No. Tough issues that just do it really poorly. And I'm like, no, yeah. nope, nope, nope. You're just off. You're just off here. Well, so the thing with that is, and this is, and this is, I guess, maybe my um, editorial philosophy or whatever, um, but is that there are no bad stories. There are just stories that aren't ready yet. So, like, when, if it comes to you and you're like, no, this is off, that means they need to go back to the drawing board. They need to get more um, feedback. They need to um, spend more time you know, doing the research or sitting with the character or with the person who, like, is, whose story is being told and, like, like be in that place, live in that skin, wear those shoes, you know, however you want to look at that. Yes, and I think, uh, wh who was it, Elizabeth Gilbert talked about a book that she was writing and then her husband was ill or something like that. Yeah, and she talked about that in Big Magic. That was the one that then yeah. Anne Patchett ended up telling. Yes. That story. Mm -hmm. And That's she let the it go to State Anne of Wonder and, Yes. Yeah. Yep. She wrote about that in Big Magic. And she talked about it on the podcast, I think, too. Probably, yeah. So I do think that, that, that as a writer, there are some stories that you write that will never 
be shared with the public. And I think that's okay. Right. Yeah. You can I mean, I have some, yeah, I have some manuscript that I'm like, oh, well, that was a really, you know, I've written maybe 65,000 words on them. And I'm like, I'm not sure that's ever going to be a manuscript. Maybe I'll come back to it later, <laughs> but that's not ready, you know? Yeah. Well, and again, yeah, it's one of those things of just knowing when the story's ready. So, like, if it if it's never ready um, and it's because of something that you're doing, then, you know, figure out if there's something you can do to change that. But if it's just not ready because it's not, it's not your story, like, I think it's possible to figure that out and to, to be able to put it down and move on to something new. And who knows, maybe you'll come back to it. I think Elizabeth Gilbert maybe always intended to come back to that story as well. But then once and once it like came out of and patch it, she was like, Oh, never mind. It's there. I don't need to tell that. Yeah. Oh, she's got it. Yeah. <laughs> never mind. And maybe so. that's why I got doesn't she also mention that she had felt she felt like she had gotten stuck kind of? Yeah. Yeah. So. She was like, maybe that's why. Maybe that Yeah, but Elizabeth Gilbert is also a kind of a believer that stories are floating around that come to you and if you write it then that story gets written through you gets shared with the world but if not like that story is going to go somewhere else to someone else right yeah she has kind of a little an interesting um philosophy there that i'm not sure mystical magical kind of yeah (laughs) that was the beginning part of big magic and i was like i don't know if i really agree with you here miss elizabeth gilbert but well (laughs) it's a nice idea (laughs) So, yeah, yeah, it's definitely a little bit uh, woo-woo for me. I was like, well, but, I mean, it is true that if you, if you sit on an idea for too long, it will, it will go away. And, and because there's nothing new under the sun, you may find that it shows up in somebody else's work. Um, and so, hey, you know, that's interesting, whether or not that's mystical universe magic or whatever, just coincidence because we're humans and we all have a collective experience. Like it just, I don't know. Well, and I think it gives uh, another, you know, way to let yourself off the hook. If you think that the story is just going to float to somebody else. Right. Which is, um, I guess a thing that, that is needed too, right? Because you need to be able to, you need to be able to start something um, and you need to be able to stop too. So like, you know, not, not wasting time when you have like an idea when something comes to you, um, and like grabbing hold of that and chasing after it. That's, that's definitely something that people need to do, but you also need to be able to give yourself permission to put it down and walk away if it's not right anymore. Um, and sometimes you know that while you're in the process of creating something and sometimes you don't know that until afterwards and you give it to somebody for feedback and you realize you know you hear from them and they're they're like this is just not right yet and and so at that point you either keep working on it or you say you know what I don't think I'm the right person to tell this story and you walk away and that's tough yes that's like a death it really is like a death I think well, because you invest so much time into it, you know, and like energy and brain space and stuff like that. But if you can figure out how to, um, how to like reconcile that with, you know, you've spent this much time and you learned something and your craft grew and you learned about your process, um, 
there's always something that you can take away from it. So, yeah. And for me, like, I have to think about those things that I've written that I've taken so much time and energy to put myself into. Okay, well, maybe it's not, like you're saying, like, maybe it's not that this story is never going to get told by me, but it's not going to get told right now. Right. And if I come back to it, then that's great, because now I'm 65,000 words in, you know? Right. Well, and that's why I tell people never to throw things away. You know, like that's right. Some, some authors in Nano, even they're like, "Oh, I'm just going to delete that." I'm like, "Do not delete." Uh-uh. I'm like, "You can you can clip that out and put it into oh, a nice little text file and hide it in a folder that says save for later on it and leave it in there and like you know you'll come back who knows how long from now it could be a week or it could be like three years or 10 years or whatever from now and look at that as a you know with a little different perspective and maybe you'll make something out of it but oh my god don't delete things and don't burn things and don't throw things away just trunk it that's what they call it trunking it (laughs) trunking it i like that explain that a little bit more just put it in the trunk like you know, like Harry Potter. Uh, some people might take yes, but some people might not know what you mean by a trunk. Like, like a box with a lock on it. So you just like toss it in there, and lock it up and leave it. And that way, like nobody else is looking at it and like having opinions on it because it's not ready for that yet. Um, and you're also not throwing it away. You're just like putting it aside, and then you'll have it there to be able to come back and look at later. And you can either. You know, maybe you'll have some perspective from, like, like stepping aside away from it for a while, and you can say, "Oh, this is where it went wrong," or "Oh, look at what I do differently now because of having written this," or "Hey, this is awesome. Let me fix it." You know, like there's so many different options there. Well, okay. So here's you want to know a story about the trunk? What? Yes, tell me a story. Okay, so you know in. I think it's in Southern culture, but perhaps it's uh, wider than this. But there's this idea of a hope chest. Uh, yes, I know about the hope chest. I oh, never tell had me one. What you, tell me what you know about the hope chest. That's where women put their wedding dresses that they want to wear when they meet yes. the right person. Right. So, for instance, your mom would have worn a dress on her wedding day, and she would have put it into a chest for you, potentially. Which I'm glad she did not. <laughs> Right. But she would have put it into a hope chest for you, and that hope chest would have sat in your house somewhere as a promise and as a future of, hey, we know you're going to get married and find the right person, so we hope that's going to, you know, be (laughs) what you do. So let me tell you the story about the hope chest. Yes. Okay, so my mom uh, is one of three, and... She has an older sister and then a brother and then it's her. But there's a pretty big difference, five and a half years between each of them. And so when my mom was marrying my dad, she asked my grandma, so, you know, where's your wedding dress? I'd love to wear it, you know. My aunt wasn't interested in that. I think, I don't know why. I don't Mm -hmm. know that story. Anyways, so my grandma's like, "I I don't have my wedding dress. You know, I don't know what's happened to it. I don't know where it's gotten to. My mom was a preacher's kid, so they moved around from lots of different parsonages. And so she was like, I don't know if it's in storage somewhere or got lost in one of the moves. I just don't know where it is. I don't know where it is. And so my mom ended up borrowing, like, one of her cousin's wedding dresses or something. So Uh she never had a wedding dress that was just her own. 
because my parents um, were still in college when they got married. So they didn't have a, a whole lot of money when they got started. So my, when my grandma passed away, we were doing what you do when someone in your family passes away and cleaning out the house. And so there's this um, cedar chest that's in her closet, you know, and it has sweaters and different stuff, stuff in there. And in the corner of that cedar chest, guess what we found? What? Her wedding dress. Ha <laughs> All crumpled up. That's awesome. It was. I mean, my mom was awesome. not happy, but, though. Yeah, she was like, was she crumpled. had this dress all along. <laughs> Aw. Isn't that funny? So we have the picture, and my um, mom got it restored. Nice. Or cleaned or something like that. So. So, so I, um. So sometimes, so when I was getting married, like, this was a discussion. Was I going to wear my grandma's wedding dress? You know, was I going to be the one who wore the wedding dress when my mom was the one who had been asking to wear the wedding dress? And I think sometimes you have to wear a story you weren't anticipating to wear. That's possible. <laughs> I um I was just thinking about how, like, my wedding dress, I still have it, um, but not to, like, pass down because I'm not planning on children or anything like that. Um, but, like, I, so... And you and don't think Tag would be interested? No, no. But, and maybe because of that... Um, is why I did this, but we took it with us to Kauai the first time I went to Kauai, and I um, we did a trash the dress session in the ocean at Glass Beach. Um, so I have pictures of me in my wedding dress in the waves, which is kind of fun. Um, <laughs> but like, so you know, there's there's that too, like of not saving something and just like doing something else memorable with it. Okay, I don't even know what that is. <laughs> what, trash the dress? No, I don't know what that is. Really? Oh. I will send you some pictures. Um, my friend my friend Matt is a wedding photographer, um, and he has done some cool photos as well, I think. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look him up. Um, but, but this yeah. is a thing that not only you do. Right, definitely, definitely. No, if you were to look it up, you would see... Um, some fun, interesting photos out there on the internet of wedding dresses in the water. A lot of it's wedding dresses in the water. Well, yeah, so there's this whole big movement also to give your wedding dresses to Goodwill or different places so that people who can't afford to go to a boutique can have a wedding dress you know yes. a quality wedding dress yes there's that too but that's not what you did <laughs> not what i did i'll send you the pictures of me in the wedding dress oh my gosh this would be awesome <laughs> i will do it i will do it anyways so sometimes you know somebody else wants to wear the story and you are the one who ends up wearing the story it's true or the dress, as it were. <laughs> and that can be a good thing. You know? It can be, but it also, I, I'll say, and perhaps you're feeling this way too, it can be a very weighty thing. Yes. It, it can definitely. feel very much like you have a... Hmm. What's a good metaphor? Help me out here. Um... 
I'm totally blanking. I started looking for trash the dressers. Um, a yoke. It can feel like you're wearing a yoke. You're like. Have you ever heard of trashing the dress? Trashing the dress? Trashing. No, trashing. What do you call it? It's trash the dress. Trash the dress. Like the wedding dress? Exactly. Like the wedding dress, yeah. Yeah, when like women get into the river or something and. The ocean. They answer Yes. <laughs> See, he knows. It's a big thing. He knows. I don't even know about this, and he knows. <laughs> she did this. Yeah. We want pictures. I'm going to send them to you. I just have I to find them. Carrie Underwood started it. Carrie Underwood started Whatever. it? Whatever. <laughs> that is not true. No, I was just complaining about my Kindle. He's just obsessed with nice. Carrie Underwood. So not fair. I just want to read. Car- Kindle? Well, you got to update it every night. Huh? <laughs> He's mad because his Kindle is taking 20 minutes to update. That's and he just wants to read. Yeah. Okay, so um, I think that you need a blog post on Dress the Dress because some people who follow you, <coughs> me, <laughs> don't know what this is and would appreciate your pictures. That's funny. Um, I, will, I will consider that, and I will have to look through my photos here and find that. Find that for you. So that you can see what. Gosh, I'm glad this is a happy hour show because this one's been kind of heavy, depressing. A little bit. You know what, though? We haven't done a heavy show in a long time. It's true. Mm. Mm. (laughs) So you do feel like you're one of these people who are called, asked upon by the universe to write heavy, weighty stories. Yeah, it's funny, though, because, I mean, and I guess this is why I like YA as much as I do, um, is that, like, it's um, it's a way to tell the story without t- taking it yourself too seriously. It is, but I'll tell you, I mean, okay, so I used to be a reading teacher, right? So I read this kind of stuff all the time, and I just read Copper Sun, Mm-hmm. by Sharon Draper. Mm-hmm. And it has, it has this, it's the story of this woman slave who gets bought for this white man's son. Mm-hmm. Like, she is basically his mistress. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, I, I mean, I, I read critical literacy, I mean, you know, I, I was trained on critical literacy of introducing really hard stories like Mississippi Bridge about racism and different things like that, but something about that this time, I was just like, oh my gosh, I can't take it. Yeah. I can't take it. Even though I had worked with high-poverty kids, like, I know that they're kids who are still, you know, sex slaves and being traded and those kinds of things, but there was something about reading it in a book and I, you know what I think it is? And I did want to mention this. I think that perhaps it's that the sensationalism that is in our news and in our news feed mm-hmm. and the fact that we go through so much information in a day, we kind of get numb to that. But when you're engaged in a novel, a young adult novel, or some kind of longer work and you get to know the characters and you get to know the people, then it has a different impact on you than reading just a headline. It's true. 
It's true. Do you um, think that's accurate? I'm not crazy. Yeah, no, I really I agree with that. I think that um, there's a lot of like it's easy to just skim through the headlines and the statistics and not like actually feel the feelings or like learn the stories of the people. Yeah. So. Because it's just another person that's passing, and then you go on to the Huffington Post article or whatever's next. Yep. It's true. Sad but true. Anyways. Well, we should talk about what you're reading, because I told you what I'm reading. I know. So I just read. I just finished Rising Strong by Brene Brown, and I would highly... Um, recommend that and then I okay so you'll be very proud of me that book that I purchased from Barnes Noble that I only almost bought a second time because I thought I didn't have it because I had uh-huh. lost the book uh-huh. I've started that one good for you <laughs> I thought you'd be proud and then I putting that went money to, the, to work and then I promptly went to the library and checked out another one yeah well that happens well oh hi Waylon <laughs> That's awesome. Yes, it does happen. So, speaking, the reason I'm thinking about Sharon Draper is I just checked out a book from the library by Sharon Draper. So. Nice. That's going to be gut-wrenching, I'm sure. Yeah. But I'm glad for you. I'm glad that you've gotten this feedback about your short story because I think that your story and your character needed this to be told. Yes. Me too. Now, if I could just finish revising the novel so that people can read it and give feedback. I can't wait. I can't wait. It's going more slowly than I anticipated, but it's going. So, there's that. There's that. There's that. Well, if people want to find you and want to read more about you, your progress, (laughs) how you're doing, when your release is coming, all those things... Where could uh, they find you? Well, you can find me and my author stuff um, at elizabethkaufman.com. That's Elizabeth with an S, E-L-I-S-A-B-E-T-H, Kaufman, K-U-F-F-M-A-N.com. Um, and I blog there, and there's um, uh, information about events that I'm going to be at this year because I'm going to Utopia in June, and then I'm speaking at um, Writer's Digest Conference in New York City in August, and then in October, I'll be um, moderating some panels for the Writer Igniter Con as well. Um, so it's a it's a busy world out there, um, and I'm going to be taking part in it, and that'll be super fun. And then if you want to talk to me about, uh, about editing... Um, and how I can help you with your book, whether it's proofreading, copy editing, or developmental work, um, you can find me at writingrefinery.com. You can also find me on Facebook, Twitter, Pinterest, Goodreads, um, all those kind of places at Writing Refinery. Tumblr, I think. I'm, I'm just, I don't, think. <laughs> I don't know. All over the place. Check it out. <laughs> so. Well, and if you want to read the article that uh, Elizabeth was referring to, you can find it at mariana.net. You can find... If you want to talk about publishing or um, stories that need to be told or awesome stories, you know, we at Harrelson Press have a social justice slant to our work, and so we like those difficult stories. In fact, I was did I tell you I was recently at a conference and they said, oh, I don't think I know a publisher who would touch that. Oh, wait, Mariana's here from Harrelson Press. They nice. love that. Go talk to them. <laughs> That's awesome. 
So that's what we do. Yes, that's me. (laughs) You can find us at harrelsonpress.com, Harrelson Press on Facebook, and at Harrelson Press on Twitter. Woohoo! Woohoo! That was a tough one, but I'm glad we had this conversation. Me too. Until next time, keep writing this tough stuff. And keep feeling the tough feelings. (laughs) See you next time. Bye. Bye.